Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. I'm Randy, and today's guest is Rishi Dave. Now, I've known Rishi for a while, but very recently, he jumped into the CMO role at MongoDB. MongoDB is a company that's been on fire even post going public and hitting IPO a number of years ago. They are growing at over 50% year over year, as he told me today. So it's a great opportunity for him to jump in and help guide what he calls product-led growth. And this is a really interesting chat that we have today because I think a lot of us think about building sales and building growth in our organizations through salespeople first. But the opportunity here is to have a product that people will adopt on their own and leverage that to get up into larger sales opportunities. He gives examples of companies like Slack that do this, Atlassian, and many of us know how viral Dropbox went with their ability to share access to their platform in the early years. You'll see with Rishi as well that he's really been able to jump into large organizations. You know, we've had a number of guests on this podcast who are CMOs at different stages of company, but Rishi talks about what it means to be the CMO of an organization at the scale that's well over a billion dollars. He's done that at Vonage before this, he's done that at Dun & Bradstreet, and he talks about a lot of the learnings he got through a, a transformational experience at Dell for almost 10 years. Without further ado, I can't wait for you to tune in and hear my chat with Rishi Dave. Hey, Rishi, thanks so much for finding time. I know you just started a new gig, so you must have tons of demand, tons of people to meet, but now you're going to meet all of our listeners. Tell us a little bit about what got you into this opportunity as CMO at MongoDB. You know, it's an exciting opportunity. I've always wanted to join MongoDB. It's always been a company that has just a phenomenal product and known to have a great go-to-market strategy. As many of the listeners probably know, as a marketer, it's a dream to work at a company that just has a fantastic product that's leaps and bounds ahead of anyone else. So that's what really excited me about the MongoDB opportunity. And then when I interviewed, got to know the people there, got to know the culture. And also, it's a very high growth company growing 50% plus year on year. It just had all the ingredients that a marketer looks for in a great gig. And I just fundamentally love SaaS businesses. Absolutely. And and that's wild to think that they're still growing at 50% year over year, even after they've gone public, which I, I know happened in the last year or two, I believe, maybe two years now. That's correct. Wow. So, you know, when, when you look at your career and, and we'll eventually maybe take a step back, but if I look at the last number of places that you've been, people can look it up on LinkedIn if they're interested, MongoDB, Vonage, uh, Dun & Bradstreet. I mean, these are all large organizations. And you talk about loving SaaS, but clearly you're aligning yourself with a lot of mature businesses, but high growth nonetheless. How do you think about picking that right opportunity in the right stage? It's a great question. What I find is um, as a CMO, you kind of gravitate to a company that's at a certain stage because I think that marketing and strategy fundamentally changes 
from stage to stage. You know, I've tried to interview at early stage startups at points in my career. Um, I've worked at a very large company, Dell, which I loved. So I've seen startups and I've worked at startups. I've seen kind of the one to two billion, which is where I've generally been public companies. And I've seen the large companies. And I think that my personal passion, what I enjoy, what I'm good at, lends itself to the rough size of companies where I've been working, as well as public companies. Public companies just kind of behave a little bit differently than um, private companies. Like, for example, you're working multiple stakeholders, not only the CEO and the other executive team, but you're also working with a board, you're working with public investors. And so it just provides a different experience for a marketer. I also find that at public companies, as a CMO, I feel like I get a much broader view of helping to manage the company beyond the function of marketing. I often say that as a CMO, and I can speak to a public company, which is where I've been, that you're pretty much helping to run the company, drive the strategy with the rest of the management team, but with a marketing mindset. So let me ask you, you talk about some of these different stakeholders, and, and I actually just had my board meeting yesterday, which was actually really exciting. We turned a nice corner, uh, had a really productive meeting. But at the stage of business that I'm at, very different, as you said, than the stage of business you're at, and I'm sure your board has various different degrees of experience. How do you divvy up your time in a career knowing that you've got these other stakeholders? Because I think a lot of marketing leaders are just you know, aspiring marketing leaders. They struggle enough just to keep up with their own internal team. How much time do you dedicate to a board? You know, I don't, I don't dedicate a lot of time because the board just wants me to succeed in driving growth for the company. So what I found is that if I can focus on working with the rest of the executive team to drive the strategy and obviously working with my team to drive growth, and then if I can be effective in communicating what I'm doing with the board, as well as leveraging the board as coaches, mentors, people who can help me make the right connections to help me do my job better. That's kind of how I've effectively worked with boards. I find that great boards, they're also uh, you know, great at providing feedback. They're very collaborative. They're kind of like coaches and they have great networks that I can leverage to help me do my job better. But first and foremost, my focus and my number one constituency is our customers. If I can drive a great experience for them, the other folks will be happy. That's great. Great guidance. You know, you, you talk about that network effect of a board and you talk about, you know, making the right impression, getting their, their advisory. How much has that helped you find your next opportunity ever? Have you ever leveraged board members or been referred by past board members to some of the opportunities that you've taken in your career? Probably not knowingly. I haven't, you know, I've, I've used board members more for both communicating what I'm doing and getting feedback and help. That's the primary way I've worked with board members. I want to take a, a bit of a different uh, step here in, in looking at your career. As I said, I, I, I want to go back a little further. And as you said, you spent a long time at Dell, almost 10 years at Dell. I'm sure you learned a ton. And it was at a time where, where Dell was reinventing the way we actually think about ordering products, uh, you know, based on some of the dates that I'm seeing here. What did that do in terms of lining you up and, and what opportunity there made you a CMO in your mind? Dell changed my life. 
when I think about my path to becoming a CMO, Dell's the one that made it happen. And there are a lot of reasons for that. Specifically, up until I worked at Dell, I never worked in marketing. I was doing sales, business development, strategy. I actually joined Dell to do corporate strategy because I formerly worked at Bain. A number of my colleagues were in corporate strategy. The person who ran corporate strategy at Dell was from Bain. I had worked with him before. That's why I went to Dell. But an amazing thing happened. Over time, I worked in corporate strategy and I worked in kind of web analytics and operations, et cetera. And then an executive at Dell just took a bet on me. Great person, great mentor. I talk to him all the time, even today. And he was heading up marketing for one of the B2B business units. And he needed a head of digital. To your point, that was early in those years where digital was just beginning to play a major role in B2B technology. But it was the early stages. People at that time really thought digital was about e-commerce, which is what Dell was known for, and consumer. So I came on and we really built out the digital marketing capability in B2B technology for Dell in the enterprise business. You know, I can talk about that journey, but a lot of it was around testing, learning, scaling, getting additional investment, getting additional responsibility. So over time, my team grew. The number of groups that I managed, so initially I was just focusing on enterprise, then I got SMB, and then I got the Global 500, and I was running digital marketing for all those groups. And over time, my team grew as we were able to prove out that through digital, and I know it's hard to believe today, but you have to rewind your head back then, we proved out it drives so many things, whether it's uh, evangelism among technical buyers, it's straight up demand gen and lead gen and pipeline, content marketing, which was completely new back then, but we built it out for the first time and you know it, we saw all the benefits. So as I grew, I fell in love with marketing, built that digital capability, and then Dun & Bradstreet and the CEO at the time took a big bet that I could make the leap from running digital marketing at Dell to becoming a CMO. And that was a big leap. That was kind of the, the big game changer. So I would say two big inflection points in my career one is when that executive in marketing at Dell took a bet on me and pulled me over to run digital marketing. And the second thing is when the new CEO of Dun & Bradstreet decided to take a bet on me and hire me from Dell to become a CMO. Those are kind of two big inflection points in my career. That's interesting. And you know, I, I think you're being very humble about this in, in the sense of taking a bet on you. You had obviously proven yourself out you know, looking at this from a different lens, just one last question before we take a break here that I think people are trying to figure out. Because you look at a company like Dell, there's many marketing leaders, and not every one of them is going to take that next step outside of Dell or, you know, to, to be a CMO of a company of that size and public nature. How do you sell yourself as a CMO? You said earlier that you know the stage you work well at. How do you sell yourself? The biggest thing in my career in terms of that transition from Dell to my first CMO job was being excellent at a specific function, which in that case was digital marketing or B2B tech digital marketing. For me, I really obsessed with that. I built a team that became great at that. And I grew that at Dell and became an expert. And it was a very new uh, field at the time. And I think having that expertise was something that a lot of people, even today, but back then, 
really was seeking. And so I think having the expertise, tying it to material outcomes like growth for Dell kind of gave me that opportunity for a CEO of a public company to take a bet on pulling me as a CMO because I could show that I have an expertise in something that he really needed. I can prove that I drove outcomes and growth because of that. That's how I think I was able to make the leap uh, to a CMO role. Within Dell, to your question, um, how I grew within Dell is simply clearly showing on a small scale the outcomes, seeking investments, and then continuing to scale those outcomes, whether it's within the division, but also globally. Absolutely. No, that's great advice, I think, for everyone listening in. We're going to get more tips from you, Rishi. We're going to take a quick break here on the marketer's journey, and we'll be back to look at your buyer's journey that you're creating two months in at, at MongoDB. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. As Rishi just hit on, part of being a CMO sometimes means you're accountable, not just to your team, not just to your buyers, but also a board of directors. And I think sometimes being part of a marketing team or being part of any organization, we hear the term board and we get overwhelmed. Oh my gosh, they have a board meeting. Is it, you know, what's gonna come down from the board? But what you need to realize is the board is there to help guide and provide advice and mentorship. And we hear Rishi talk about this. I thought I'd just take a moment to expand the value a board can actually bring. And especially if you have the right mix on your board. We recently mixed up our board of directors at Uberflip and we added a CMO who's got tons of experience, who's been through levels way beyond where we are today from a revenue perspective, from the challenges that she had to see with global expansion. And I think when you start to have those voices inside of the board and you start to connect them, not just with your CMO, but you start to connect them with the rest of the organization, you get different perspectives. You have more experience being brought in and there's such value to that. So it's very interesting to hear Rishi talk about how he makes time for the board, how he learns from the board. I think for all of us, finding a way to connect in with your board, especially those who can guide you through your journey is a real difference maker in your career. All right, Rishi, so you just unpacked the importance in your career of digital marketing, but no CMO, no CEO goes out there and says, our strategy is digital marketing. They say, we've got a go-to-market strategy. What is your go-to-market strategy been, or what's it going to look like now that you're at Mongo? The reason why I think MongoDB is so successful and why I joined is uh, two big things, great products and an amazing go-to-market strategy. The go-to-market strategy really has four different ways of going to market. Number one, 
is what everyone is familiar with, which is the enterprise sales team doing big deals. Number two is an inside sales team doing deals with kind of more mid-sized accounts. Number three, and this is the biggest innovation for the company that's been the engine of growth, which is what we call the self-service funnel. Many people call it the product-led growth funnel. What that is, is that's us behaving almost like consumer marketers, driving demand into our product online and allowing customers to self-provision, self-service through a, through a whole kind of buying journey, registering this free tier version, there's a paid tier version, and eventually they grow. And a lot increasing amount will be actually feeding into sales. So it becomes an engine for growth. And, and that's kind of a, a model that Slack, Zoom, Atlassian, that's been a model that's been an engine for their growth. And now we've implemented it. It's a real engine for our growth. And the fourth go-to-market strategy is through partners. So that's really the um, multi-pronged go-to-market that we focus on. I think a lot of us understand enterprise sales, inside sales, even the role of partners. This self-serve or product-led growth is, is a trickier bucket to figure out. I, I think you know, I think back to Dropbox, right? I mean, definitely a product-led growth, maybe one of the best examples that we can think of in modern day technology as to how they took to market. Do, do you believe a company needs to be born with this or can they implement it with time? Can you adjust from an enterprise or inside sales model to saying, okay, we're now going to figure out our next stage of growth product-led? That is actually exactly what MongoDB did. Now, it depends on the company and the product. But MongoDB a few years ago did exactly that. It was an enterprise sales-oriented company. The company had the vision to understand that, hey, it's all about cloud-based products, which we launched our flagship product now called Atlas, which is our cloud-based offering. And it has been the engine of our growth over the last few years since we went public. And fundamental to that, and it goes back to that strategy that our CEO has always had, which is succeeding is about things I've said multiple times on this podcast, great products, great go-to-market. In the product-led growth model, the two work together. So what that model is, our SaaS offering, our Atlas offering, which is our SaaS product, we, we market through digital marketing, almost like consumer marketing to developers. And then we bring developers into our product. They register, there's a free version, and then there's a paid version. And as their needs grow, they grow with us through that paid version and through scoring, targeting, and a whole host of methodologies, a portion of them will go to sales. So that self-service funnel becomes a feeder for the sales team as well, a highly, highly efficient feeder, and it's becoming more and more over time. That funnel has been an engine for our growth because it kind of reflects how a developer or an end user who really has a lot of power nowadays wants to buy, they start using the product, they get excited, and then they convince the rest of the company to adopt the product for the workload, the application, et cetera. No different than what a Slack, Atlassian, those, and like you said, Dropbox did. That has been a tremendous engine. So when I think about what I need to do is I need to think about all those channels, the segments we're going after, the right experience for those different segments and buyers that we're going after, and making sure I guide them through the right channel, whether it's to an enterprise, to a partner, through the inside team, or through the self-service channel, which again, feeds up 
to those sales channels. And so it's, it's complicated from the inside, but I need to make it simple for the customer. Absolutely. And I, and I imagine for the customer, it can be overwhelming. And even internally, as you said, it can be overwhelming. Let's just say as an example, that MongoDB wanted to bring on Dell as a customer. I mean, you probably have some contacts at Dell, but given your history that you talked about earlier today, you know, you may have people coming through that self-serve product-led model, but you also have enterprise-minded attempts. How do you balance the desire to jump to that enterprise sale when you have that team ready, that go-to-market in place, yet also let the product-led naturally evolve? What's important is to leverage data and experience. So, you know, we have scoring models we use to really determine, and based on history, who's in the funnel, where are they from, what are they doing, behavior, all those kind of things. And we leverage that to determine, and we have to continually optimize the analytics on where a person should be placed, how long they should stay in certain places, all of that. And that's really back to digital marketing, which is getting more and more sophisticated and using analytics and also analyzing the past to understand what people want, what works, what's optimal, um, and those kind of things. And so that's what we have to do. So I'm going to assume that part of the enterprise and in sales, in, inside sales model includes a little bit of account-based marketing mindset today. Is, in your opinion, is it, is it the idea with product-led growth that that's feeding up into the account-based model? Is that what you were just describing? That that this is just another touch point that the enterprise sales rep can use? Or do you treat them as two separate funnels until that product-led user is ready to be sold to at a higher level? It depends. So in the account-based model, we're kind of pretty sophisticated in terms of the company, the industry, what they've done in the past, and leveraging all that data and the persona within that account and understanding where it makes sense for them to interact with us. You have it right. We have to look at at the enterprise level or the large company level, look at the enterprise as a whole, all the people within that entity who are interacting with us and each of them want to interact with us in a different way, tying that all together for the enterprise seller to have a full view of how to manage the account. And, you know, we're in a little bit of a unique case where people, you know, where people build applications. You know, every application stack is often on a different database. We could be in one application stack within an enterprise and not another, and so there's a lot of complexity around that as well. Understood. So, last question for you here: We we talked about what this means for the buyer. What does this mean for your team from a marketing perspective? And and I'll keep in mind, you've only been there about two months. You may be still feeling things out. But when we think about these four different go-to-market strategies, again, to to recap them, we've got enterprise sales, inside sales, product-led growth, and partners. Do you you align separate marketing teams or pods to each of those four? Or are you able to to group them together for efficiency? Yeah, I mean, clearly managing that high-velocity funnel requires a certain expertise. So we do have a team with that. And then we do have on the inside and enterprise side, what you'd expect in terms of field and demand generation and things like that. And then we have the typical functions like marketing operations and things like that, that kind of sit across all those functions. The complexity is because we have so many routes to market, how do we as a team 
work together to ensure that we don't cause conflict with each other or we're not targeting the same buyer, et cetera. That's the challenge for us. For the user, they should have a great experience and be able to self-select the best way that they want to interact with us, or we can guide them to the way we know is best for them given their needs. But for us internally, we have to manage the complexity of that. And so that's the challenge is the coordination and processes and measurement systems that we put in place internally to make sure that we're all working together on behalf of the buyer and the buyer's journey and the segments we go after. That's, that's the hard part, but that's what we focus a lot on in terms of a go-to-market engine. The second thing I would say is that for a marketing organization, it's really exciting because it's such an innovative go-to-market strategy that marketers get a chance to operate in all levels of a marketing skill set in B2B, whether it's you love high-velocity consumer-like marketing, we have the self-service funnel. You love big deal enterprise marketing, events, et cetera, you can work with the enterprise team. And then obviously everything in between, right? Partner marketing, et cetera. So it's very exciting for a marketer to be part of that kind of organization where you can get all those experiences. Well, I, I think you just encouraged a number of listeners to probably check the careers page on MongoDB. Well, we're <laughs> growing incredibly. So definitely. There you go. <laughs> Rishi, this has been great. Uh, we'll take a quick break here. We'll bring you back. Want to hear how you disconnect at times amid all the, all these busy things on, on your radar right back here on The Marketer's Journey. So as Rishi talks about the importance of product-led growth, I want you to think about your product. Is your product usable? As we look in the market today, more and more products, regardless of whether they're built for an enterprise or whether they're built for an end user, need to be usable. Usability is what leads to retention, it leads to expansion, because it's just easier to scale. We think about some of the most successful companies out there in the market right now, companies like Shopify, who even when they're selling their Shopify Plus enterprise product, it's made to be simple. It's made to be easy to implement. It shouldn't take days and weeks to get products live. Now, a lot of us may say, well, we have an enterprise product and it has so many features, so it's a lot more complex. There's still so much value to finding ways to put a focus on usability. And I think, you know, listening to Rishi today and the examples he gives, companies like Slack, companies like Atlassian, companies like MongoDB, when you create that usability, it allows you to trickle throughout an organization. Think about Slack yourself. It's you probably used a, a platform like that or Microsoft Teams. In so many situations, you end up with one user signing up which also requires, don't get me wrong, a freemium type of model, but allows you to trickle into an organization that historically may have required much more of a top-down type of sale. And this is a different way for us to expand into much bigger accounts, even if we're targeting more of an EBM approach. It's a different perspective. It's one that puts so much focus on the product that you have and making it usable for every buyer. All right, Rishi, so we've broken down your career, amazing the companies you've been able to be a CMO of, probably keeps you busy trying to manage these four segments of a go-to-market, let alone one. How do you take a break for yourself, for your family? I know you got three kids, so how do you take the breaks that you need to keep, keep uh, healthy in your mind? It's really hard. And 
in the current times, and we're recording this during the COVID crisis, I find it even harder because sometimes that commute that you have to an office is a nice time to listen to a podcast, relax, enjoy, whether you're commuting into a city or driving, which you don't have now. And what I find is it's nonstop from morning to night. I'm on Zooms, I'm working, et cetera. What I try to do is a few things. One is I get up early and make sure I get my workout in. And I try to not look at any device until I finish my workout. And it's a great way to both get exercise, but also clear my mind as I move to the next day. One of the also great things about, you know, if I could say there's anything good coming out of this, is that because my entire family is at home, it is nice to have the opportunity to have dinner together, to have conversation, to spend time together in the evening, because I'm not traveling to some location, because I used to travel quite a bit. Uh, my wife's not going to work. She's here. And my kids aren't running around. I have two teenagers um, of the three to some activity. We're all together. So that's nice to just disconnect during that evening time as well and spend time with the family. The last thing is that my wife does a good job of forcing me to take time off because sometimes I, that's great. and I'm sure you experience that too, because I lose, Absolutely. and I get so absorbed in all these things that you sometimes need an, you know, somebody outside your work, which in my case is my wife, to just say, look, you need to take time off. So a great example is on Labor Day weekend, I didn't want to go anywhere. She convinced me and the whole family, we, we stayed in a tiny house in the middle of nowhere in the Adirondack Mountains. It turned out to be an incredible vacation, even if just for a couple of days. And so having somebody who's watching you, knows you, and makes sure that you take that time off helps a lot as well. Absolutely. Now, it sounds like it, like you've got the right support in place. I've got that too, so I can relate. Uh, Risi, this has been a great, great episode, uh, great discussion. I think people learned a lot from your career, from the way you're organizing the team there, and, and even how you're finding the time for yourself and your mental health. Uh, really appreciate you sharing. If you're tuning in to this as your first episode with us on The Marketer's Journey, listen to so many other great CMOs we've had who all have different tips, different ways that they've gotten to where they are, and it, it creates a perspective for you as a listener to understand how you can chart your marketer's journey next. Until next time, big thanks to Rishi. Big thanks for tuning in until we speak to you again. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts.